This time on Poll Hub, the census wrapped up in 2020, but the Bureau is still counting. And as it turns out, it's finding some problems. Undercounting non-whites, overcounting the populations of some states, undercounting others. It may seem like a mess, but NPR's Hansi Luang joins us to explain what's happening and what it means. Then, Tuesday night in Georgia was probably not one of Donald Trump's fondly remembered evenings. Two of the Republicans he has most publicly harshed on, one, bigly. Does that mean Trump's grip on the GOP has been loosened, or is something else at play? Finally, dinosaurs have been all the rage in Hollywood for a couple of decades. Laura Dern was 23 when the original Jurassic Park began filming, so yes, decades. So are they the number one list on extinct species Americans would like to bring back? That's a teaser. You gotta stick around to find out. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper. I'm Barbara Carvalho. And I'm Lee Marinkoff. So today we are going to be talking about the recently released uh, information from the census, which uh, talked about how this time around we had a number of overcounts and, and undercounts of, I think it was over a dozen states, 14 states. Uh, and so we want to take a look at what the implications uh, for that are. Uh, certainly the census uh, faced some huge problems in conducting the 2020 count uh, this time around. Uh, what was what was so interesting is that for you know for 10 years of people were planning uh, the next decennial uh, census and anticipating all sorts of uh, events, different modes of uh, data collection, uh, weather events, everything and anything that could have happened. One of the things that they did not plan for, of course, was the pandemic. So that pro provided a very different context. Uh, we have Hansi Luang, NPR correspondent who reports on voting with us today to talk about what the implications of the of the census under and over counts uh, are uh, as as well as the implications going forward for census 2030. Hansi, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, how common is it to have these over and under counts uh, during a census? Is this what is this normal? Uh, and we're just uh, more focused on it this time, or was 2020 really an unusual time? I guess normal is a tricky term. I think the thing to, th to think about is the U.S. Census has never been perfect, and there have always been people missed, and uh, Census Bureau research has shown that also that certain groups, certain states uh, tend to be overcounted as well. And so um, what's interesting is that in 2010, the Census Bureau found through its follow-up survey it conducts um, that there were no states with significant, statistically significant undercounts or overcounts in 2010. Um, in past decades, there have been. And now in 2020, we do see a total of 14 states with statistically significant miscounts. So that's six states with significant net undercounts, Arkansas, Tennessee, Mississippi, Florida, Illinois, Texas. And you have eight states with statistically significant net overcounts, Hawaii, Delaware, Rhode Island, Minnesota, New York, Utah, Massachusetts, and Ohio. Are there any theories or ideas as to why this seems to happen? And you, you seem to mention that um, although 2010 uh, perhaps was the exception and not typical with under and over counts, uh, that there are some places that just seem to always be under or over counted. 
you know, it's it's something that Census Bureau researchers are going to dig deep on as they prepare for the 2030 census, and that planning is already underway. But I think some of the things that um, historically um, have been the case in terms of overcounting that tends to be driven by people who are counted more than once at different addresses, often people who have more than one home. And as you said, 2020, the census rolled out nationwide, uh, nationwide counting rolled out just in the early weeks of the pandemic, just as many colleges and universities were shutting down, students mm. were fleeing campuses, and that really sparked a lot of confusion, especially among that population, about where to count students who are leaving campus and returning or, or going someplace else. And, and, and according to the Census Bureau, college students who usually are in dorms, staying in dorms, should be counted on campus, but that may not have necessarily been the case. Um, that could have been one contributing factor, but lots of different factors because it's a massive operation. We also have to keep in mind the Census Bureau in addition to a pandemic, was not planning for years of interference from former President Donald Trump's administration. Interference that included trying to add a now blocked citizenship question, as well as ending counting early, cutting counting short, counting that was delayed nationwide by the pandemic and then was ultimately cut short by the Trump administration. But one of the things I was struck by in that was as I look at the overcount states as opposed to the undercount states, the irony seems to be that those which were overcounted tend to be more blue states and the undercount tended to occur more in the red states. So is this just a comedy of errors or it just sort of worked out because of the demography of the uh, particular states? You know, one thing, the, the, the way to think about these net overcount and undercount rates that the census puts out is it's a bit of a Rorschach test because what you're seeing are these indicators that are really one facet of a very complicated, massive operation. And so you could paint and put out a theory like that, but I would point out that amongst the states with significant net undercounts, you have a, what some may consider a blue state, Illinois, which uh, Biden won in 2020. And among the states with net significant net overcount rates, you have the quote unquote red state of Utah, which voted for Trump in 2020. And so uh, there are a lot of different theories you can put out there. And I think this is something that, again, that will require a lot of research and, and, and digging into. And another thing to keep in mind is that these are state level net overcount and undercount rates that are not broken down by demographics, specifically race ethnicity. And we know that the Census Bureau's research has shown Decade after decade, there is this long-standing trend that people of color are undercounted, while people identify as white and not Hispanic are overcounted. And so these overcount rates and not undercount rates may be masking an even more complicated story of what's really happening in each of these states. So what does this all mean? The census data is used by a lot of industries, a lot of people. What does this mean that there's been undercounts and overcounts? It means that this is not an accurate portrait of the people living in the United States of America as of April 1st, 2020. But this is going to be the baseline that the government, that researchers, that policymakers, 
that, that the general public will, will often have to rely on because this is the most comprehensive data at the national level and oftentimes at the local level. Um, and so this is what we have to work with for the next 10 years. And I think any data user, and that can not necessarily be an academic or a researcher or a pollster, it could just be anyone looking up at census.gov, data.census.gov, just to keep in mind, you know, data can sound like cold, hard facts. But I think what I've learned through my reporting over the census over these past few years is that data is produced by a series of decisions by the people who plan how to collect the data, and then also the conditions in which the data is collected. And this data was collected under really extraordinary circumstances, uh, a, a very tumultuous political and social climate. And so uh, if you're looking at some of this data, we just have to keep in mind what, what are the caveats, what are the asterisks to keep in mind? And again, we're continuing to see the longstanding trend of people of color undercounted while you have an overcount of people identify as white and not Hispanic. Well, so I think uh, one of the things that the census is used for is redistricting, uh, but there was uh, recently uh, legislation passed to, to uh, determine that redistricting prior to the recount. So these recounts will not have redistricting um, Im implications. Uh, what can what can people uh, who are studying this to go forward uh, and improve things for the 2030 census? Uh, what kinds of changes or things that do you think we need to look for and anticipate um, as statisticians, as researchers uh, for going forward to get a more accurate count? And Barb, just to clarify, I think you were referring to an earlier Supreme Court ruling that said that- Oh, any, you're right. You're correct. It wasn't legislation. Yes. A absolutely. Supreme Court ruling in 1999 that ruled that census data numbers, state population numbers that are used to reapportion the seats in Congress to determine how many seats in the House of Representatives each state gets, those numbers uh, cannot, uh, statistical adjustment cannot be used in order to produce those numbers. And so that's that's what the Supreme Court ruled in 1999. Uh, and, and I think the bigger point you were, you were making is, is that, you know, we have this information about the quality of the data that the census has put out, and this uh, will not affect the data that has already been used to determine each state's share of House seats, electoral college votes, and the data that's being used right now to draw maps, voting maps around the country. And um, I apologize, can you repeat your question? <laughs> yes, no, well, I think this is just you know moving forward. As you mentioned, um, the planning for the next census actually starts before the last one is even over. So what can we learn by this kind of upheaval that the census really faced, as you mentioned, both statistically and both and, and socially uh, in the difficulty in measuring who we are as Americans? What can we take away from this in planning for the 2030? Uh, census. Well, the job for the Census Bureau isn't getting any easier. It's just a, an even more complicated situation where they have to think through um, if, if there potentially is another pandemic or <laughs> what else could be coming around the corner that could really throw their uh, years-long planning for a loop. Um, the 
you know, another thing to keep in mind before we even get to 2030, though, is that there are funding implications that this, that these data, this data, these numbers are used by state and local governments to get their share of an estimated $1.5 trillion a year in federal funding for Medicare, Medicaid, education, transportation, other public services. And so you have a lot of state and local officials who are, are very concerned. Uh, they're skeptical about how accurate these numbers are in terms of representing their communities. And, and so there is a lot of pressure on the Census Bureau right now from these state and local officials, as well as from other census stakeholders, and wondering what is the Census Bureau going to do in terms of those annual population estimates that the Census Bureau puts out. And those estimates drive a lot of those funding decisions. And so the Census Bureau has said they're planning to, they're putting together a team inside the Census Bureau to look at how possibly could these overcount net undercount rates, could they be factored into those population estimates uh, going forward? It's unclear if they can be, and, and if so, how? So that's something that I'm watching out for. And, and so uh, there are just major, major implications in terms of this funding, and, and that could uh, shift how things, um, how that money is divvied out in, in the coming years, so something to watch out for. But 2030, it's uh, it's a ways away, but I think one big change in 2020 was that this was uh, predominantly, uh, all households were able to do the census online. And in many ways, that was a lifesaver for the Census Bureau when uh, social distancing was the way of doing things uh, because of the pandemic. And uh, people did not want to leave their homes if they didn't have to, not even necessarily maybe go out to the mailbox or encounter a Census Bureau worker. And so that online option for folks who do have internet access uh, was a lifesaver. But a big question is what about those communities that don't have a good strong internet connection? And are those communities being left out. That's something that Census Bureau have to look into. Absolutely. No, that is a that is a huge problem and that is a huge disconnect. Hopefully the uh, the difficulties uh, that we had this time around won't undermine the importance and the relevance and the overall accuracy of of the census and the reasons and the reasons that uh, we we do so every every 10 years. Hansi Luang, thank you so very, very much. We appreciate you uh, talking with us today. You're very welcome. So let's switch gears to uh, Tuesday night in Georgia. Um, Tuesday <laughs> night was primary night, not only in Georgia, but a few other states. But there has been a lot of talk uh, throughout uh, the last couple of years since Donald Trump lost the election in 2020 about uh, whether the GOP, the Republican Party, is the party of Trump and he has an iron fist grip on it, or whether the party loves his ideas, and some people, a lot of people in the party love him, but maybe not in its entirety. Maybe he doesn't actually own the party. And I think we saw some evidence on Tuesday night uh, in two races. The governor of Georgia, uh, the incumbent governor, uh, Brian Kemp, not somebody that Donald Trump likes. He has uh, been pretty mean to him <laughs> publicly. Uh, and he won, Kemp won over a uh, candidate that Donald Trump backed uh, by more than 50 points. That's uh, pretty much trouncing. And then Secretary of State, uh, the incumbent Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who you may recall was the guy as the Secretary of State who ran the elections in Georgia and refused uh, to uh, uh, heed any of Trump uh, or Trump's people's calls to look into the election, to change the votes, all the various things that he was asked to do. 
uh, he was also challenged by a, a Republican that Trump backed, and Trump has not been kind to Raffensperger, and Raffensperger won by more than 20 points and cleared the 50% hurdle, so he's not going to face a runoff. So, a lot of preamble there. Lee, what does this mean? Well, I, I, well, it's subject to interpretation, and I, I think uh, Donald Trump... <laughs> well, that's what looking, you're here for, is to interpret yes, for of course. <laughs> and Donald Trump is, of course, looking at the states he won, uh, or the congressional districts he endorsed candidates in, and, uh, and they won, so he's racking up, as he would see, you know, big victories. But the reality is, these folks in Georgia were the ones who really, really got under Trump's skin, to put it mildly. And um, and he would have liked nothing better. And I think it's just really interesting that the voters in Georgia who are watching this go back and forth uh, after the uh, 2020 election uh, and have read about some of the calls that took place since. And I forget the number, but, you know, the one to Raffensperger, you know, can you find 11,726 votes or whatever it was, which is sort of an odd thing to ask the secretary of state, uh, not even looking at the legalities of it. but. Clearly, um, there's something going on out there which is um, within the Republican Party, and it may have to do with a lot of other people who want to run in 2024 for, for president, uh, that Donald Trump, uh, as a former president, has an outsized role in his party going forward, uh, but that that role may be uh, re reducing because he is relitigating 2020 all the time. And I'm not sure that's where the Republican Party wants to be in 2022 or 2024. Uh, and I think his reluctance to move off that topic and move forward is what's causing this continuation of Trumpism, but maybe not with Donald Trump as the uh, standard bearer of that. Well, I think also Donald Trump defined an agenda for the GOP. Mm. Uh, certainly he was, uh, and still is um, a, a larger than life figure. But part of his, um, you know, why I think the GOP is and was enamored with him is because he spoke to the core GOP voter. Uh, he made his base and the GOP base a priority, their concerns a priority, the policies that they were interested in a priority. Mm -hmm. And so I think going forward, as we see some of these candidates, I don't think it's a terrible disconnect. And I'm not sure characterizing it as a Trump win or not a win um, is, is actually the right thing to do until these candidates change the agenda or change the reasons and policies that they're actually running on. Certainly, you know, who won in 2020 um, is, is something that I think, uh, you know, the GOP voters do not have an, an appetite for at this point. But if you go beyond that discussion, um, there's a very strong connection between a Trump agenda and the candidates who are winning the primaries uh, this time around. Yeah, and they're looking to inherit the Trump voters without having Trump coming along with it. I mean, I think that's- Well, I think, and that's what's so interesting about what Kemp did is he actually never criticized Donald Trump during the campaign, even when Donald Trump at every moment was criticizing Brian Kemp, calling him all kinds of terrible names, terrible things. And I think that might be part of this is don't attack the guy, 
you know, but take on the things as you've suggested that are popular. And we've seen that in our polling yeah. is that uh, majorities of Americans are, are more comfortable with Republicans on the economy and some of these other things. And these are the things that the Republican candidates are talking about. I do want to point out, though, that the, the big lie that the election was, was stolen and all of that that there are a lot of Republicans in our polls and other polls Absolutely. who do believe that. So I think this is a, a, something to look at that in, um, in Georgia, of all places, yes. <laughs> where the Senate could have been controlled by Republicans, probably had Donald Trump not gone in uh, for those two special elections. I think it's remarkable that in Georgia, Republicans there uh, a majority of Republicans, yeah. and in the case of Brian Kemp, a very large majority of Republicans, stood up and said, that is not what we want this election to be about. I think mm -hmm. that's big. No, I think it's fascinating. Of course, Herschel Walker run the Senate race primary, I should say, for the Republicans, and definitely with Trump's blessings. Um, and that's going to be a huge race uh, between uh, uh, Walker and the uh, Senator Warnock uh, going forward in November could be the determining race in the Senate. And, and that's a mixed message. And, and that's actually a good a good point is that Trump backed Walker and Walker won bigly as well. And and Walker has talked about the big lie much more so than than Kemp or Raffensperger. On the other hand, he didn't have there was no strong competition yes. against him and the party backed him. The yes. state party backed him, where in the case of... of so uh, you had yeah. you had voters, yeah. Republican voters, voting for Herschel Walker, the Trumpy, and, uh, you know, Kemp and Raffensperger uh, on the other side of the of the of the 2020 uh, battles. Um, and, and they were voting for both of them. So, I mean, it just shows just the Republican Party sort of trying to figure its way out of, of where this is. And I think very often they sort of figure with Donald Trump, well, let's just like get past this this time and then we'll deal with him. Uh, and that's what's been going on for five or six years. Uh, and they never quite deal with him. And now I think they're just concerned that going forward, they really don't want to, as I said before, relitigate the uh, presidential election of 2020 right now, regardless of the fact that a lot of Republicans think it was rigged. They want to know what the well, can do for let, let's see what happens in Pennsylvania in the recounts and all of that. And also in the there are still upcoming primaries. So in other yeah. states. And, and also, I think that we need to take into consideration the fact that um, people are focusing on uh, some of these much larger issues, uh, such as inflation, such as the economy, uh, just a cost of living. Uh, and so I think at times uh, the Trump, not Trump thing can become a distraction. Yeah, and I think that may be what we're uh, what we're looking at. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, that is in my fun facts section of the of the uh, of our podcast, uh, you know, I always get an opportunity to try to figure out a, a good segue um, to, <laughs> to, uh, to and, and I got one. It's a stretch. It's a stretch. Um, but what we see in the polls uh, that was uh, done in the fall of 21 um, by Ipsos uh, Understanding Society was that basically one in 10 Americans are interested in resurrecting dinosaurs uh, as a, a species, uh, of course, extinct. And I'm thinking of polling during that you know, period and what an exit poll, in-person exit poll would have been like. Um, when you had to go up to a dinosaur, for example, and find out, you know, 
you know what well anyway i won't expect that I, I thought i thought you were gonna that but that was roughly that that was really yeah. that was really rough i thought he was going to talk about you know uh different methods of polling as being a dinosaur i thought yeah i thought he was going to say the polling industry was a dinosaur no, right. no, yeah. I wouldn't say. <laughs> but when it comes to species i don't want to go through all the data here but uh, when it comes to different species the number one to be resurrected of, a, of an extinct species are giant tortoises. Uh, I assume that that's the plural of tortoise. I'm not sure. Um, I've, sure. Never seen, I've never seen more than one at a it time. It is now. Yeah, 26%. Yep, yeah. and, and then we have the northern white rhinoceros at 23 dodo birds. Oh, well, well, wait, um, I just didn't, I, I didn't know. Does, did anybody um, just check, were giant tortoises uh, carnivores? Carnivores. I, no, nobody checked. Why? Okay, okay. I was just curious because I, I mean, I do like the idea of a giant tortoise. I think it would kind of be really cool to have around, but if they ate us, that might be a little worrisome. <laughs> no, I think these are more recent. In fact, that's what's interesting about this list is the first three giant tortoise, northern white rhinoceros, and dodo birds have all gone extinct in the last couple hundred years. They're not prehistoric. Uh, and then we go to woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers and dinosaurs and mastodons. So it's kind of like the ones that I was surprised by that. The ones that we are that are the most recent were the on the top of the list. I really would have thought dinosaurs or something like yeah, that would have been I, on top. But yeah. well, I think also you know this uh, we 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 talk about uh, species uh, extinction as if it is something in the past, but it yeah, it, it isn't. And there are quite a number of species uh, uh, that are that have been and are now extinct and will continue uh, to be uh, in the future as well. Note that the biggest and the number one answer was I wouldn't want to bring any species back. <clears throat> Mixed message there. If it's about yeah. dinosaurs, I get it. If it's about a dodo bird, come yeah. on. <laughs> That'll do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mary Griffith is our executive producer. Casey Schaff is our production supervisor. If you have questions for us, tweet them directly to at Marist Poll. Remember, you can always tell your smart speaker to play Poll Hub and with any luck, it will cooperate. Finally, wherever you listen to Poll Hub, there is a subscribe button. Click it and the latest episode will be ready for you in your podcasting app as soon as we release it. We'll see you next time.